When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 28, Part 2 Having crossed the marsh, I saw a trace of white over the moor. I approached it. It was a road, or a track. It led straight up to the light, which now beamed from a sort of knoll amidst a clump of trees, firs, apparently, from what I could distinguish of the character of their forms and foliage, through the gloom. My star vanished as I drew near, some obstacle had intervened between me and it. I put out my hand to feel the dark mass before me. I discriminated the rough stones of a low wall. Above it, something like palisades, and within, a high and prickly hedge. I groped on. Again, a whitish object gleamed before me. It was a gate, a wicket. It moved on its hinges as I touched it. On each side stood a sable bush, holly, or yew. Entering the gate and passing the shrubs, the silhouette of a house rose to view, black, low, and rather long, but the guiding light shone nowhere. All was obscurity. Were the inmates retired to rest? I feared it must be so. In seeking the door, I turned an angle. There shot out the friendly gleam again, from the lozenged panes of a very small latticed window, within a foot of the ground, made still smaller, by the growth of ivy or some other creeping plant, whose leaves clustered thick over the portion of the house wall in which it was set. The aperture was so screened and narrow that curtain or shutter had been deemed unnecessary, and when I stooped down and put aside the spray of foliage shooting over it, I could see all within— I could see clearly a room with a sanded floor, clean, scoured, a dresser of walnut with pewter plates ranged in rows, reflecting the redness and radiance of a glowing peat fire. I could see a clock, a white deal table, some chairs. The candle, whose ray had been my beacon, burnt on the table, and by its light an elderly woman, somewhat rough-looking, but scrupulously clean, like all about her, was knitting a stocking. I noticed these objects cursorily only. In them there was nothing extraordinary. A group of more interest appeared near the hearth, sitting still amidst the rosy peace and warmth suffusing it. Two young graceful women, ladies in every point, sat, one in a low rocking chair, the other on a lower stool, both wore deep mourning of crepe, which somber garb singularly set off very fair necks and faces. A large old pointer dog rested its massive head on the knee of one girl. In the lap of the other was cushioned a black cat. A strange place was this humble kitchen for such occupants. Who were they? They could not be the daughters of the elderly person at the table, for she looked like a rustic, and they were all delicacy and cultivation. I had nowhere seen such faces as theirs, and yet, as I gazed on them, 
I seemed intimate with every liniment. I cannot call them handsome. They were too pale and grave for the word. As they each bent over a book, they looked thoughtful, almost to severity. A stand between them supported a second candle, in two great volumes, to which they frequently referred, comparing them, seemingly, with the smaller books they held in their hands, like people consulting a dictionary to aid them in the task of translation. This scene was as silent as if all the figures had been shadows and the fire-lit apartment a picture. So hushed was it, I could hear the cinders fall from the grate, the clock tick in its obscure corner, and I even fancied I could distinguish the click-click of the woman's knitting needles. When, therefore, a voice broke the strange stillness at last, it was audible enough to me. "'Listen, Diana,' said one of the absorbed students. "'Franz and old Daniel are together in the night-time, "'and Franz is telling a dream for which he is awakened in terror. "'Listen.' "'And in a low voice she read something, "'of which not one word was intelligible to me, "'for it was in an unknown tongue, neither French nor Latin. "'Whether it were Greek or German I could not tell. "'That is strong,' she said when she had finished. "'I relish it.' The other girl, who had lifted her head to listen to her sister, repeated, while she gazed at the fire, a line of what had been read. At a later day, I knew the language in the book, though, when I first heard it, it was only like a stroke on sounding brass to me, conveying no meaning. "'Good, good!' she exclaimed, while her dark and deep eyes sparkled. "'There you have a dim and mighty archangel, fitly set before you. I like it.' Both were again silent. "'Is there any other country where they talk in that way?' asked the old woman, looking up from her knitting. "'Yes, Hannah, a far larger country than England, where they talk in no other way. "'Well, for sure case, I don't know how they can understand one another, "'and if either of you went there, you could tell what they said, I guess.' "'We could probably tell something of what they said, but not all, "'for we are not as clever as you think us, Hannah.' We don't speak German, and we cannot read it without a dictionary to help us. And what good does it do you? We mean to teach it sometime, or at least the elements, as they say, and then we shall get more money than we do now. Very like, but give over the studying. You've done enough for tonight. I think we have. At least I'm tired. Mary, are you? Mortally. After all, it's tough work, fagging away at a language with no master but a lexicon. It is, especially such a language as this crabbed but glorious Deutsche. I wonder when St. John will come home. Surely he will not be long now. It is just ten, looking at a little gold watch she drew from her girdle. It rains fast, Hannah. Will you have the goodness to look at the fire in the parlor? The woman rose. She opened a door, through which I dimly saw a passage. Soon I heard her stir a fire in an inner room. She presently came back. "'Ah, children,' she said, "'it fair troubles me now to go into yonder room. "'It looks so lonesome with the chair empty "'and set back in a corner.' "'She wiped her eyes with her apron. "'The two girls, grave before, look sad now. "'But he is in a better place,' continued Hannah. "'We shouldn't wish him here again. "'And then nobody need to have a quieter death "'nor than he had.' "'You say he never mentioned us?' "'inquired one of the ladies.' "'He hadn't time. He was gone in a minute,' was your father. 
He had been a bit ailing, like the day before, but nothing to signify. And when Mr. St. John asked if he would like either of you to be sent for, he fair laughed at him. He began again with a bit of a heaviness in his head the next day, that is a fortnight since, and he went to sleep and never wakened. It was most stark when your brother went into the chamber and found him. Ah, children. I thought them so similar I could not tell where the old servant, for such I now concluded her to be, saw the difference. Both were fair-complexioned and slenderly made. Both possessed faces full of distinction and intelligence. One, to be sure, had hair a shade darker than the other, and there was a difference in their style of wearing it. Mary's pale brown locks were parted and braided smooth. Diana's duskier tresses covered her neck with thick curls. The clock struck ten. "'You'll want your supper, I am sure,' observed Hannah, "'and so will Mr. St. John when he comes in.' And she proceeded to prepare the meal. The ladies rose. They seemed about to withdraw to the parlour. Till this moment I had been so intent on watching them, their appearance and conversation had excited in me, so keen an interest, I had half forgotten my own wretched position. Now it recurred to me. More desolate, more desperate than ever, it seemed from contrast. And now, impossible, did it appear to touch the inmates of this house with concern on my behalf, to make them believe in the truth of my wants and woes, to induce them to vouchsafe a rest for my wanderings. As I groped out the door and knocked at it hesitatingly, I felt that last idea to be a mere chimera. Hannah opened. "'What do you want?' she inquired in a voice of surprise, as she surveyed me by the light of the candle she held. "'May I speak to your mistresses?' I said. "'You had better tell me what you have to say to them. Where do you come from?' "'I am a stranger. What is your business here at this hour?' "'I want a night's shelter in an outhouse or anywhere, and a morsel of bread to eat.' Distrust, the very feeling I dreaded, appeared in Hannah's face. "'I'll give you a piece of bread,' she said, after a pause, "'but we can't take in a vagrant to lodge. It isn't likely.' "'Do let me speak to your mistresses.' "'No, not I. What can they do for you? You should not be roving about now. It looks very ill.' "'But where shall I go if you drive me away? What shall I do?' "'Oh, I'll warrant you know where to go and what to do. Mind you don't do wrong, that's all. Here's a penny, now go. A penny cannot feed me, and I have no strength to go farther. Don't shut the door. Oh, don't, for God's sake. I must, the rain is driving in. Tell the young ladies, let me see them. Indeed I will not. You are not what you ought to be, or you wouldn't make such a noise. Move off. But I must die if I am turned away. Not you, "'If you've any followers, housebreakers or such like, anywhere near, "'you may tell them we are not by ourselves in the house. "'We have a gentleman and dogs and guns.' "'Here the honest but inflexible servant clapped the door to and bolted it within. "'This was the climax. "'A pang of exquisite suffering, a throw of true despair, "'rent and heaved my heart. "'Worn out, indeed, I was. "'Not another step could I stir.' I sank on the wet doorstep. I groaned. I wrung my hands. I wept in utter anguish. Oh, the specter of death! Oh, this last hour approaching in such horror! Alas, this isolation, 
this banishment from my kind. Not only the anchor of hope, but the footing of fortitude was gone, at least for a moment. But the last I soon endeavored to regain. I can but die, I said, and I believe in God. Let me try to wait his will in silence. These words I not only thought, but uttered, and thrusting back all my misery into my heart, I made an effort to compel it to remain there, dumb and still. All men must die, said a voice quite close at hand, but all are not condemned to meet a lingering and premature doom, such as yours would be if you perished here of want. Who or what speaks, I asked, terrified at the unexpected sound, and incapable now of deriving from any occurrence a hope of aid. A form was near. What form the pitch-dark night and my enfeebled vision prevented me from distinguishing? With a loud, long knock, the newcomer appealed to the door. "'Is it you, Mr. St. John?' cried Hannah. "'Yes, yes, open quickly.' "'Well, how wet and cold you must be, such a wild night as it is. "'Come in. Your sisters are quite uneasy about you, "'and I believe there are bad folks about. "'There has been a beggar woman. "'I declare she has not gone yet, laid down there. "'Get up, for shame, move off,' I say. "'Hush, Hannah. I have a word to say to the woman. "'You have done your duty in excluding. "'Now let me do mine in admitting her. "'I was near and listened to both you and her.' "'I think this is a peculiar case. "'I must at least examine into it. "'Young woman, rise, and pass before me into the house.' "'With difficulty I obeyed him. "'Presently I stood within that clean, bright kitchen, "'on the very hearth, trembling, sickening, "'conscious of an aspect in the last degree, "'ghastly, wild, and weather-beaten. "'The two ladies, their brother Mr. St. John, "'the old servant, were all gazing at me, "'St. John, who is it?' I heard one ask. "'I cannot tell. I found her at the door,' was the reply. "'She does look white,' said Hannah. "'As white as clay or death,' was responded. "'She will fall. Let her sit.' "'And indeed, my head swam. "'I dropped, but a chair received me. "'I still possessed my senses, though just now I could not speak. "'Perhaps a little water would restore her. "'Hannah fetched some, but she is worn to nothing.' "'How very thin and how very bloodless! "'A mere spectre! "'Is she ill or only famished? "'Famished, I think. "'Hannah, is that milk? "'Give it me and a piece of bread.' "'Diana, I knew her by the long curls "'which I saw drooping between me and the fire "'as she bent over me, broke some bread, "'dipped it in milk, and put it to my lips. "'Her face was near mine. "'I saw there was pity in it, "'and I felt sympathy in her hurried breathing.' In her simple words, too, the same balm-like emotion spoke, "'Try to eat.' "'Yes, try,' repeated Mary gently, and Mary's hand removed my sodden bonnet and lifted my head. I tasted what they offered me, feebly at first, eagerly, soon. "'Not too much at first. Restrain her,' said the brother. "'She has had enough,' and he withdrew the cup of milk and the plate of bread." "'A little more, St. John. Look at her eyes. "'No more at present, sister. "'Try if she can speak now. Ask her her name.' "'I felt I could speak, and I answered, "'My name is Jane Elliot.' "'Anxious as ever to avoid discovery, "'I had before resolved to assume an alias. 
And where do you live? Where are your friends? I was silent. Can we send for anyone you know? I shook my head. What account can you give of yourself? Somehow, now that I had once crossed the threshold of this house and once was brought face to face with its owners, I felt no longer outcast, vagrant, and disowned by the wide world. I dared to put off the mendicant, to resume my natural manner and character. I began once more to know myself, and when Mr. St. John demanded an account, which at present I was far too weak to render, I said after a brief pause, "'Sir, I can give you no details tonight.' "'But what, then,' said he, "'do you expect me to do for you?' "'Nothing,' I replied. "'My strength sufficed for but short answers.' "'Diana took the word. "'Do you mean,' she asked, "'that we have now given you what aid you require, "'and that we may dismiss you to the moor in the rainy night?' "'I looked at her. "'She had, I thought, a remarkable countenance, "'instinct, both with power and goodness. "'I took sudden courage.' Answering her compassionate gaze with a smile, I said, I will trust you. If I were a masterless and stray dog, I know that you would not turn me from your hearth tonight. As it is, I really have no fear. Do with me and for me as you like, but excuse me for much discourse. My breath is short. I feel a spasm when I speak. All three surveyed me, and all three were silent. "'Hannah,' said Mr. St. John at last, "'let her sit there at present and ask her no questions. "'In ten minutes more, give her the remainder of that milk and bread. "'Mary and Diana, let us go into the parlor and talk the matter over.' "'They withdrew. "'Very soon one of the ladies returned, I could not tell which. "'A kind of pleasant stupor was stealing over me as I sat by the genial fire. "'In an undertone she gave some directions to Hannah.' Ere long, with the servant's aid, I contrived to mount a staircase. My dripping clothes were removed. Soon, a warm, dry bed received me. I thanked God, experienced, amidst unutterable exhaustion, a glow of grateful joy, and slept. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.